Welcome back to the Corporate Escapee Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Today's guest is Paul Shirley. He's the author of three nonfiction works, Can I Keep My Jersey, Stories I Tell on Dates, which was good, and The Process is the Product. And if longtime listeners will recognize we've had Paul on talking about, we'll get back to that. And his first novel, Ball Boy, came out in 2021. And I believe you just have, you have another one coming out. I do. It's, uh, it's coming out as we're recording this. It's a few weeks away. So by the time people are hearing it, it won't be far off at all. And that one's more fiction, which is not what anybody wants from me or anyone else. But uh, yeah, we can talk about that as we go. Paul also played for 17, I didn't realize, 17 professional basketball teams in a nine-year career. Spain, Greece, Russia, and three NBA teams, including the beloved Bulls. Uh, it's not enough. Paul was a National Merit Scholar. Is or was? Are you always one if you were one? Great question. I think probably was, but I don't know. It's not like I, uh, I learned one time I got to go to the Playboy Mansion for their Midsummer uh, Night's Dream Party or whatever. And I met a couple of girls who were former playmates. And when I said that, they corrected me and said, no, <laughs> we are playmates because it's like being the president. Once a playmate, always a, always playmate. a playmate. So once a merit scholar, always a merit yeah, scholar. Maybe. Let's, I'll <laughs> say that. Yeah, just so that it sounds sort of like being a playmate. Exactly. Don't want to miss the degree in mechanical engineering because I think that's where maybe some of your process thinking comes in. We'll get into that as well. And last but not least, uh, Cyclone Legend, right? Which I can't leave out. So <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how it's been 20, almost 25 years since I played college basketball, but it's still in there. Those like fear based, I'm missing practice or I forgot my shoes or whatever it might be. I think that anxiety will stay with us forever. And definitely one thing I've learned with your podcast is um, one, it's fantastic. I, I like and I highly encourage people to check it out is, but sometimes when I'm listening to it, I'm like, God, I feel pretty good about my life. <laughs> and other times I'm thinking, man, should I be worried about some other things? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doing, but start with what you're doing. Cause I, last time you were here was about a year ago. And I want to say it was episode 141. I actually did look that up. And the, but we really spent most of the time talking about your book because it really helped me as somebody that was moving from corporate that was super structured highly inefficient, but didn't have to do a ton of real work. All of a sudden, I'm responsible for all of my own work and time and knowledge and writing. And your book was super helpful in giving me a process to think about how to do that. Now, since then, obviously, you still have the book, but now you've got the the process online. I think you've got a, an in-person community in Denver, and now you've expanded into to coaching. So maybe share with the audience a little bit about you know what's new with you and what what you're working on right now. Well, it, it's heartening to hear uh, what you were talking about when it comes to the way that uh, businesses work and the way that individuals need to learn to work. Um, I uh, am sort of at an increasing rate fascinated by how wrecked people are when it comes to this ability to manage, quote, knowledge work. So knowledge work is anything like you're talking about. It's it's moving information around, which uh, for a lot of us is our jobs, right? It's not very few of us that are uh, listening to this podcast or are on this podcast are lumberjacks, for better or worse, right? Like we don't have a lot to show for our days. If you're a lumberjack, 
you chop the wood and at the end of the day, you point at the pile of wood and you say, that's what I did today. Um, most of us, at least in, in the circles we're in, are moving emails around, moving information around. And it turns out that's a lot harder to manage than we thought, right? Especially like you said, when you're out on your own doing it. Um, so what we're doing at the process is I'm relying on all this experience I have for creating systems in my basketball career and then in my writing career and now as something of an entrepreneur uh, to help other people do the same, to help them manage knowledge work. Um, we do that, like you said, in a physical space here in Denver, but we've also now gotten more into working with business teams um, where we're helping them around these issues of managing distractions, creating times of focus in their day, and also connecting to their values. So why do they do their jobs? Because I think it, you know, it, it's nice to talk about all these habits and I love, I love discussing that stuff, but we also have to get into these existential questions of why do I do this job and what do I value about it uh, before we can even get into those questions of, of how am I gonna manage it? Yeah. And if I even like this job. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, yes. Yeah. Well, it's I mean, I think it's it's um, I guess it's a little bit of a catchphrase these days, but it really is about people's values and your values may change with time. Right. There are times in your life when maybe your values are I just have enough. I have to earn enough money to support myself, support my family in whatever way that I can. Uh, those values may change as you reach some level of success where now it's more about fulfillment or I want to help other people. But if we never check in with those values, it becomes, uh, I think, difficult to get up and do the same thing every day because those things just change over time. Yeah, no, and it's such a good, uh, I don't want to say segue, but you know, one of the things I talk a lot about and what for me when I went solo is, you know, kind of what started as the three F's, right? Flexibility, freedom, and financial independence. And when I started interviewing and talking to folks, I thought financial independence was going to be number one. Uh, no, it was the freedom and then flexibility and then making sure they could still pay the bills and have some financial goals. But then as I've got deeper into this, I've actually moved it to those three, freedom, flexibility, fulfillment, um, but adding fulfillment and fun, right? So Again, maybe somebody else out there has the 5F framework, but as, as I talk to people, I'm like, so where where are you? And more importantly, what do you want? What are you trying to get to with each of those groups? And then you can design and try to find you know, the work that that's going to make sense for it. I think too often, at least me growing up in that corporate, it was just structured. Here's what you do. You do this type of work. You get ahead. You get a promotion or you have to do these things. And like I said, really finding myself for the first time a couple of years ago has been, I've never been more energized with, with what it is. I get there's more risk, but I'm in control of, of everything I'm doing. So I think it probably depends a, a lot on the pace of change in a person's life, right? It, in that we, we actually do a thing where we send out to our members every month, a, a short questionnaire on the month and why, right? So which of your values are most important to you right now? Which got neglected last month? Which ones are you going to focus on in the coming month? Um, if you're in a state where, just hypothetically, uh, you've got a, a five-year-old and a three-year-old and a new house and you're living in a new city, your values may stay the same for the next four years, right? Like it's my values yeah. are keep these two kids alive and make sure that I like get home on time from work. And that's totally normal. 
Now, if you're in a phase of, of a lot of change over a short amount of time, if that's a retirement, a job change, you know, a romantic relationship has switched on you or in some way, then it may be that you're checking in with your values a lot more often. I don't think there's a, a standard set, but one thing I talk about a lot is that we want to help people check in with those values, but then also forget about them. In in that I what I mean there is I don't think it's useful to be thinking every day about your values. And that that actually can be destructive in a lot of ways because it can hang you up on um, just building these processes that we talk about, right? So you've heard me, Brett, talk before about like finding kind of that North Star, which I would say is your values, like where are you headed? Uh, and then committing to a process and remembering that you're not going to have to redo that process every day, right? Like that I can, I have, I can remember I have thought hard about why I'm doing this. So we can eliminate that. And now all I have to do is focus on today's tasks, whatever those might be. As you know, and as listeners of yours will probably relate to, one of the challenges of being out on your own is that you not only have to do the to-do list, you have to come up with the to-do list, right? And that's those are those are two pretty significant tasks in each of your days. So then you layer on also thinking about why am I even doing this job every single day? Then you're really wearing your brain down with just the number of things it has to accomplish. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's, it's such a good point too. And to think about where you are in your journey makes sense, right? So a lot of the folks I talk to are, you know, not quite empty nesters, but close and at least I came to the realization that, you know, I'm 55, right? And knowing with medicine, everything else, I could live healthy and active to, to 100, and if not more, the way things are going. So I'm only at halfway point, right? Maybe the third act. So what am I going to do for the next 20 years? Because I'm not retiring. There's just, there's no way in God's green earth I'm retiring because I don't know what I would do with myself. So how do I find that work that makes sense? And that's where I think I'm running into a lot of folks that are in that 35, 40, 45, where you're right, they're not three and five. Most of them were taken care of. We're still anxious about paying some of the bills. But now all of a sudden, it's a whole new world that, you know, we weren't even exposed to. So even taking yeah. that step back and thinking, wow, and trying not to get overwhelmed with that piece. right? Yeah, it, I think it's also valuable to remind people that these value sets may not sound particularly noble. Like one, one of the things that people will say often, right? If you ask them, like, what do you care about? Well, I want to help people. Okay, great. Um, is that realistic right now? Like maybe you want to help people in 15 years, but right now, all you might be able to manage from your work life is I just want to get better at this job, right? Or, I just want to, I just want to feel some sense of progress. That's a super valid um, value system. I, I would say that in my basketball days, like what's the point of putting a ball in a hoop? I guess you could make the case that it's like I'm entertaining other people maybe, but that's pretty questionable. Uh, some of it was ego-based, which is not necessarily great, where I was like, if I'm sort of famous, then people will like me. That's a whole other discussion for a different kind of podcast. But I do think that there was a fairly positive uh, value set in there in that I really loved the feeling of getting better at something. There was this thing I could do where I got a really quick 
feedback loop on, I just have this facility with this particular sport and I can feel this sense of forward progress. And that in and of itself was a value for me, right? And I think people forget that that applies to a lot of us in our day-to-day. You know what? Even if I didn't send all of the emails I wanted to send today, was I, did I check in with that person? Did I take a step back and ask them about their day? For, like that may seem small, but that's still a little burst of forward progress. Like, you know, I'm getting better at the way that I'm running this business or my own potentially personal business, whatever it might be. Yeah. Progress. So important. You're right. It, it can be the small things, right. That keep it moving. I always joke, you know, hashtag progress with my kids. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. we move forward. Hashtag, we're, we're progressing. That's right. That's, it's, it's a good thing. And, and interesting along those lines, I wrote something today um, based on a conversation I had somebody yesterday. They were talking about it. He's like, because we were talking about my business and the corporate escapee and, and that audience. And he's like, you know, the one insight that I came up with a few years ago when he was doing something in the same space was, you know, most of the corporate people don't invest in themselves. And I'm like, holy shit, he's, he's right. I mean, I didn't start doing that, like signed up, you know, I mean, read the books, do the podcast interview, but, you know, joined your community because it helped me get in alignment or helped with the motivation at times. And up until then, I really hadn't made any investment other than maybe, you know, business school 25, 30 years ago. Right. And so I'm like, you're absolutely right. We don't help ourselves. We buy things, we go places, but we don't do that. So in the last few years, I've definitely spent more time doing that. Is that a, would you say that's a common theme? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's strange, I guess, for me, because in basketball, it's pretty clear that you're going to need help, right? I get well, I guess it becomes clear pretty quickly. Like you might think when you're in ninth grade, like I'll just figure this out on my own. But then you run up against people who are better than you very quickly and you realize like I better get some coaching, I'd better, you know, uh, help get some help with weightlifting, whatever the thing is. So I think sports teaches you to go get outside help or just subjects you to outside help pretty quickly. Um And so it seems so obvious to me that people are always going to need to outsource a lot of these things. One thing I do see, though, and and I need to get better at understanding is that not everyone had that exposure to sports. And so they maybe don't understand that um, that they're not expected to come up with all the answers on their own. Right. So thinking about, you know, right now I'm dealing with not dealing with in a in a hyper negative way, but I am dealing with the repercussions of my career on my body. So I'm still trying to like fix certain things. And I just don't have the willpower to do all that or the knowledge to do all of that on my own. So there's a lot of me going out and just finding a trainer or a PT and just saying like, you just tell me what to do because I need assistance with this. And I think that's true around these things you're talking about, the, the coaching, uh, time management, ability to focus. I think that's where I get really excited because it seems to me that we at the process and, and me specifically have, have honed in on this problem that people have around managing distractions, um, being able to find states of flow and, and deep work that I, I don't even think I understood the half of it when I started working on this, that like 
people are pretty wrecked when it comes to their ability to like <laughs> yeah. deal with distractions and, and actually focus. Like you said, right? Like it, it's because they weren't expected to for a very long time. Um, and now that so much of the corporate world or the, the business world in general is built around this idea of knowledge work that is done on the same devices where they're getting entertainment and they're communicating, it is a morass that we're just starting to hack our way through. Yeah. And you probably could have started this 20 years ago and made it, you'd be a billionaire by now. Because, <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know, yes, yes and no. But I think the, the problems have only begun to really rear their heads in the last five years. Right. So, you know, jo uh, Jonathan uh, Haidt, who wrote the book, The Coddling of the American Mind. And by the way, I can never remember if it's hate or height. I think it's height. It doesn't matter. Anyway, he talks about how uh, the decline in mental health for uh, teenagers really starts with the advent of the smartphone and, and putting social media on the smartphone, right? So that's it's only like 2011, 2012, something right. like that. Um, so it's really only the last 10 years that we've been just destroying our brains not necessarily because of what's on social media, but just the way that we move through our days and use these devices as, as kind of multitasking doomsday devices, I guess. Yeah, I think Nate Jackson, who was one of your NFLer again, mm -hmm. uh, he was he was ranting about the. <laughs> He yeah. said, you want to call it a mobile phone. It's just a device. It's a phone. It's a bunch of things. But yeah, he had a pretty, I don't want to say it's a hot take because I don't think it's that out of what the realm is just, it's, we got to figure out how to um, keep it under control. And yeah. And I wonder if, if some of that, so as you mentioned, uh, Nate Jackson is one of my co-hosts on the process podcast. He's sort of the uh, Paul Shirley of the NFL or I'm the Nate Jackson of the NBA. Um, he and I, I think, have a similar understanding of how wonderful it is to be truly engaged in something. So sports teaches you that, as you know, Brett, like that, that feeling of losing time and being so committed to the moment, which is a real like yogic or meditative kind of attitude. It just happens kind of naturally in sports, I think. And I would say that he, like I, um, wants that for people, right? He, he wants people to have that feeling. And, and that's something that I, when it comes to talking about values and sense of why, that's what I care about, right? Is helping people get to that where they like have these almost overwhelming responses uh, of understanding like, oh my God, it felt so good to be focused for 15 even if that focus was, you know, I was hyper locked in on this PowerPoint I was designing. That counts, man. Like that's not, that's not nothing, you know, to, to figure out how to lock in and build an Excel spreadsheet or write a summary of some meeting. Any of those things count as, as deep work, as flow states. But we have to help people see that and, and understand that that in and of itself is a win. Yeah. And I think that's where, again, you helped me rethink that because all of a sudden, I, like I said, I had the time, definitely super focused in the morning. I can turn things off and, and get work done. But then once I get beyond 10 and things, the day starts happening, maybe even nine in some cases, 
where where your community was helped because you got those accountability groups that man, I really need to get something done. I'm just procrastinating. I can't get focused. I can dial in with your group. Everybody, nobody really says anything. You just say, "What do I want to get done in these next 45 minutes?" Everybody works silently, and then it's again, it's such a simple thing. Then, like, it's, sometimes I'm mad at myself that I can't just do that myself. But it's nice to have that that community, I guess, to 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 support that. Right? I mean, you must have saw that early yeah. on to set that up. Well, yeah. It's well, I I think the psychology of what you're talking about is is important, right? You're talking about guilt and shame around, I should be able to do this thing. And um, I, I'm interested in what has changed. You mentioned like the old corporate days. I've, and I'm not, this is not necessarily a brag. It's just the way my life has, has gone. I've never really had a corporate job. So in some ways, I don't totally understand what happens in an office. And I think that does hang you up a little bit because I'm like, what are you maniacs doing all day? Because like, if I am, if I'm concentrate, if I'm focused for, let's say, let's say this morning, I actually had a slightly longer bout of, it, it's not like I was hyper focused the whole time, but for two and a half hours, I was pretty locked in. I did my writing for the morning. I did three deep work tasks. I call them that you know, or I knew were going to take some real effort. Each of them, I allowed between 10 and 15 minutes to, or four. And then I did some shallow work, which is answering emails. And I, after two and a half hours, was pretty blasted for the day. You know, like I was able to then do some other shallow tasks. I ran a round table on the process online. Um, we're going to do this, which is going to take something out of both of us. Um, but to me, I think I just find it interesting that people tie into this idea of an eight hour work day, not recalling that like true focus, like I'm 99th percentile when it comes to focus and I can only do it for like two and a half hours. And so I'm always suspicious when people are like, yeah, I, you know, I wrote for eight hours today. And you know, they know you didn't. That's yeah. not possible. <laughs> no, you, you, you're right. I had uh, Steve Glavesky, he's an Australian author, entrepreneur. He's done some things. And he wrote a book called Time Rich. Right. Mm. So about the time I discovered yours, he had kind of been talking about the same thing with the deep work. And he's like, man, the two hours, if you get two hours in a day of deep work, it's it's a good day. Right. But, you know, circling back to your corporate days, which it's probably a blessing that you didn't because you can go in with eyes wide open. But and again, it, it's just that it was the nature of the beast. It was just meetings with people that didn't need to be there. You had follow ups to certain things you had, especially when in the office, you had walk bys, people stopped by your desk. And at the end of the day, it just is just the, the way it was. And we kind of joked offline that, you know, an office space, he's like, in any given day, any given week, I probably do 15 minutes of really good work. And, you know, it is popular in the movie because it, it's true. So it's, I don't think it's anybody doing anything wrong. It's just the way it evolved. And to tie off on your, your eight hours a day, you know, somebody had posted the other day that I commented on. It's like, hey, if we move to... Um, four out or four day work weeks at 10 hours. I'm like, why does it have to be 10 hours? Who, who mm -hmm. decided it was an eight hour day or a 10 hour day to do this? If we move, I know it just the way it always was, but mm -hmm. to get to more of the outcome based work, it's um, yeah, it's, 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 it's going to be a challenge. Yeah. Well, so the, 
I don't, oh, I, re I read this in a piece that sounds a little name droppy. Uh, it's a Harvard Business Review piece uh, about the way that work has changed in the last 70 years. Uh, okay. going, going from it being, it, it, the, the short or the easy example is it was an assembly line, right? You yeah. work at Ford Motor and you clock in and you do the same thing over and over and over, right? Um, what has happened is that we have moved to a really project-based economy where we say, Brett, I need this thing from you and your team in six months, right? The problem is we haven't taught people how to build those processes, so we rely on an antiquated mo model of, well, why don't you work for eight hours a day on it and see if that helps, right? What I would submit is that with knowledge work, there's a, a real blessing and curse to this change. The blessing is the time required is less. The curse is you're going to be thinking about it all the time, right? So that's where, you know, in thinking about how some of my past experiences inform what I do now, there are writing teachers who talk about how when you carve out, let's say, 20 minutes or 40 minutes or an hour for writing each day, it's really that you're just opening a window to all of the stuff that's been going on in your head throughout the rest of the day, and you pour it onto the page in that hour or those 20 minutes, right? And I think something very similar is true for these longer projects. You can't actually work on it for 24 hours a day, but it will be in the back of your head. That's just the nature of how we think about things, right? And that the real win occurs when you realize, oh, if I can just allow myself 20 minutes where I sort of turn the spotlight onto this project and I'm going to spit out everything that is relevant in whatever format that is, whether that's PowerPoint or Excel or Microsoft Word document, and then stop and then, and then allow that it's going to keep kind of churning in the back of your head while you're working out, while you're eating, and then that tomorrow you're gonna come back to it. That's how you can really build these processes um, or, or, and or accomplish these long projects because it's just not feasible to chew on it for eight straight hours, but it is required of you to be able to chew on it briefly for a whole bunch of days. Yeah, that makes a, a lot of sense. And yeah, I think when we do get these projects and like historically, it's been a few years since I've been there, but I'm guessing not a lot's changed. It's you're right. It's we're going to have to do this deliverable. We're going to meet on it and we're going to do. And it just it's it just uh, I think it's you or somewhere in your content where you talk about, man, if you've got two hours to write that paragraph, it's going to take you two hours. If you got 20 minutes to write that paragraph, it's going to take you 20 minutes. Right? Mm -hmm. so, and what's really fascinating is that often when you only give yourself 20 minutes, you write a better paragraph. Yes, 100% right. It, 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 one of the things I started doing this year, so the beginning of January, all my LinkedIn posts, I write them every morning. I get up, get motive, and the first thing I'm going to do is going to write. So whatever's conscious, stream of mind, it's been... I like, I really like that, that process. People are like, Oh, it's not productive. You got to batch it. And I'm like, eh, maybe someday, but like, like I think of something in the night, it comes out in the morning. I'm getting better at being able to process and write it. You can argue that it was good or bad. It doesn't matter, but <laughs> kind of getting into it. Um, you know, it's, what's interesting, the analogy that I use for 
kind of the future work is cliche and it, but, but things are changing, but I think with the expert and the knowledge, we're going to see kind of that return back to when everybody had a professional, like the blacksmith did the blacksmith. It was just kind of their life. It was built into their life. I think we're going to have a bunch of ex- experts that can come together on projects. And the two analogies, the one I was using was the Hollywood movie, right? You got hair, makeup, actors, stunt, everybody comes together with their skill sets, works on this thing. They build it and they go away. And the other one that somebody shared with me the other day was Ocean's Eleven, right? All right, I need a safe cracker, you know, a thief, a disguise artist. Everybody comes. And I think, you know, I don't, I believe that we're heading into that, that direction because people are going to at some point demand, right? Because I think if you do that, you'd get all the good benefits of corporate, which there are good. I mean, I learned a shit ton of my time there, but there's also a 90% or 80%, 70% that's just inefficient and, and un, unnecessary. So how do you, how do you balance that? Right. So it's going to be, like I said, you're, you're in an interesting space and mm-hmm. you're in the front lines as this thing unfolds. Yeah. The, you know, the, the blacksmith analogy is interesting to me, uh, especially with regard to your audience in that the blacksmith or the cobbler or the, Butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, they have this um, advantage that we're talking about, which is they probably care a lot about what they do, right? Like it it may, it may not be um, saving the world, but probably we hope the baker and the candlestick maker sort of enjoy what they're doing. They also know this is exactly how much I need to do to make a candle, to bake the bread. The issue, though, is that they're sort of always on call. And so, like, somebody can come knock on your door if you're the blacksmith and say, can you fix this sword or can you shoe this horse, right? And then you have to figure out ways to manage that sense of being on call, whether you're a blacksmith in the Middle Ages or a project manager right now, right? Where, yes, you could be doing it all day long, um, but you would lose your mind at a certain point. Um, we're, you know, the other thing that's the case with like the blacksmith analogy is a lot of times that blacksmith may have lived right above his shop. And now with more people able to work from home or work remotely, whether or not that lasts with corporations is debatable. But if people are freelancers and, and they're in your audience, they may be in this world where they're doing this stuff from home or they're doing it from a coffee shop. They have that other issue that the blacksmith has, which is, Everybody knows where you are because you live right above the blacksmith shop and they can always find you. And that, again, gives you some freedom and it makes for fun and to borrow your F's. But it also can make your life to take another F fucked if you, <laughs> if you can't manage like those number of, of calls in your time. And so that's where building these systems for yourself becomes really vital. Oh, it's, it's so important. Yeah. And I think part of that too, you're right. Cause if I've heard that some folks that left corporate did their thing, but they were getting customer calls in the middle of the night. And I think the the beauty, um, of the flexibility of what we, we can set that up front and set those right expectations. It doesn't always work that way a hundred percent. But mm-hmm. if I know that based on what my financial goals are, I only need four four customers, Right. Mm-hmm. And if I go into that and say, hey, here's here's the way we work. Right. We don't work Fridays, whatever. If that doesn't work for you, then it may not be the right customer. And I go and 
Pollyanna world that everything that kind of works. But I do think we're getting to a point where we can have more control of who we actually work with. And if that clients, I've learned that in the first couple of years of when I went on my own, that not all clients are equal. And the type of work that I was doing is shifted because it's not what I like to do. And it took a little while to figure it out. Um, but I do think the opportunities there, at least now, right? The not even the first movers. It's just the people that can figure out and get this under control and figure out what they want. Now, if you want to build Facebook, Microsoft, you will have to be on call and on demand. It's not going to be that way. So, um, well, maybe. So I will say this. I was thinking about that as you were talking, and and I guess maybe because of your mention of the Iowa State connection, this is on my mind. Um, my coach, my last two years at Iowa State was a man named Larry Eustachy, who I didn't necessarily love as a human, but he went a long way toward sort of training me around uh, these ideas of systems without necessarily me even knowing it. He had coached at Utah State before coming to Iowa State. Uh, and Brett, you probably know this, but he had a lot of Mormons when he was at Utah State who would not practice or play on Sunday. So he got really used to every Sunday they took off, right? They did not have practice. Um, whereas my coach before that, Tim Floyd, would just give days off kind of willy-nilly. We'd come in on a Tuesday and he'd say, okay, well, tomorrow's your day off. And you're like, what am I supposed to do with a Wednesday off? I didn't even know it was coming. I don't know what to do with this. Um, Similarly, Eustachy would run us hard and practice, practice us to death, but the practices were short and very targeted, right? And so he was able to get a lot out of us knowing that the practice might only be an hour and a half long, but it was going to be exactly what he said it was, right? And there's, there was no sort of argument with how good we were. We were really good. You know, he was, I think, AP coach of the year, my junior year when we were 32 and five. So I do think there's also a little bit of a misconception around excellence that it is going to require workaholism or late nights. Now, those are some brute force ways to accomplish things. And I'm, I'm not going to take away from that. I also think that when you're starting out and you don't know exactly what your system should look like, that you're probably going to err on the side of too much. But I think it's worth reminding people that there is hope out there in that if you can figure out these really uh, rigid in a positive way structures that you can achieve excellence if your system is great. Yeah, no, I think that that's so true. And mine's still definitely evolving. It's come a long way, but mm -hmm. right, it's the calendar blocking and, and some of those little things. And, and your, your point on um, just around putting those, those systems in place and it doesn't have to be, I mean, I don't want people to get the wrong one, read, read the book, the process, it'll make it crystal clear. This doesn't have to be super complicated to put these systems and processes in place. It's just figuring out where and how to, to spend your time where we never had to do that before. And it's well worth it. And I think if I would have learned this back in corporate, it would have been a, a game changer. But I think, you know, you use the analogy of sports and it's taught and you had to use it. Well, the thing in business individuals aren't necessarily competing. We may be looking at for the same promotion or one thing, but day in and day out, there's not a, you know, we don't, we're not going to win this game or we have to practice mm. to do this game. One, we don't practice, right? right. <laughs> we just right. do the job and, you know, go back to office space again. If Inatex ships a few more, I bust my ass and Inatex sh ships a few more units, I don't see anything, right? So, right. I mean, right. I think, but I, but I think, 
finally we're waking up and realizing that there's a much better way to do this in corporate or not, right? How Mm -hmm. do we get people that fulfillment and just quit wasting so much time? (laughs) One of the issues is that by giving in to distraction or time wasting, it's almost the same as being an alcoholic. You're maybe keeping yourself from having to think about what's really going on in your life, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm just forever fascinated with how if you, if you give me six weeks, I can train you to do more in 20 minutes than you did previously in two hours, like almost without question. Um, and so I wonder sometimes like, but why don't people want this? And the answer is, like you said, part of it is they're not in a competitive situation and that's fine. But I think some of it is also psychological in that if you spend eight hours just kind of frittering away your day, it also keeps you from having to think about why am I alive, which is a big question, right? Yeah. But, uh, but there's, that's, that's also what we talk about when people are addicted to booze or gambling or whatever else it is. I think there's a, there's a bit of a psychological phenomenon at work where it, it hurts to have to be done with the task and sit quietly with this option of I could now go work out or I could go to the grocery store, whatever the thing is. Like that's actually a lot of pressure in some cases. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it, it's fascinating. Like we could talk about this for hours. I do want to be respectful of your time, but the one thing I did want to to point out back to Nate, and I'm not picking on Nate because I thought it was a really interesting conversation when you did almost a mini therapy session with him because he loves to write. He's a really good author. But yet, you know, he does his radio show for two hours and then does his thing, but just never gets into the process of writing. And he had an opportunity after he wrote a really popular article. And I'm like fascinated that somebody that was in the NFL and we just think so disciplined, right? They just boom, mm-hmm. do this, that we all struggle, right, with with different yeah. things in, in order to get it done. I thought that was, I don't know, I found that super fast. That discussion was fascinating. I don't know if he was happy you were putting him under accountability or not, but that was- it sounds I, it sounds like he's doing better. We actually uh, I got to watch the Super Bowl with him, which was fun for two reasons. As a Kansas City Chiefs fan, it was extra fun, but also I got to watch it with him, in a, a former NFL player. But I will say that um, one of the things that I love about talking about this sort of stuff honestly is is not, it's not to say, hey, look at me and how much I've accomplished. And so you should be like me. It is, as you said, hey, look at me and all I've accomplished and, and also how screwed up I am. Right. Like, like that I, you know, it's kind of amazing that in a couple, in a month, I will have my fifth book in the world. That's remarkable. That's unbelievable. But when I got up this morning and I went to the coffee shop to write, I was like, this is so stupid. This writing is terrible. I don't know why I'm doing this. This is awful. Uh, so the point of that is to say, like, even I, even Nate, even you, Brett, we're, we're still out there just fighting it every day. And so I think if we can get, if we can show people, like, this stuff it doesn't get fixed. There's no, like, magic bullet. But... If we can be honest about how it is difficult and, and that, yes, it seems like we have the best existence in the world, but there are days when I would give anything to just be a blacksmith, right? Like, and just have a, an obvious start and stop to the tasks I'm working on and, and admit that this stuff is difficult 
and that people haven't really ever had to do it before, that gets that sort of like cleans the wound a little bit. It like washes it out and then allows us to look at it in an antiseptic way without the shame and the guilt around like, oh, I should be doing this. This is, I guess what I'm getting back to is I see this a lot with people in Nate's station where they're accomplished. They're like, why can't I do this thing? I should be able to do this thing. And the answer is, well, it may not be the right time for you. You haven't built good systems right now. You're, you know, you've added on this layer of guilt. First, we have to unpack the guilt before we can even get into the, the job of doing the thing. Um, so anyway, I guess all that to say that like, good on Nate for, for opening up about how hard this is. Cause like you said, this is a guy who made it to the NFL and has also written two books and is yeah. now a successful radio guy. And he's still struggling. And he was flat out honest. I love that. It was, I think it was working out when I was listening. I'm like, wow. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I love yeah. it. No we're excuses. All... He just said, Nope. It just, uh, there's no good reason why I can't do this. It's just, we're, uh, we're all, yeah, we're all flailing. And it's also like, you know, in, in thinking about, your audience it's it's particularly difficult when you're out on your own and you just don't know how it's going to go yeah no for sure and the last thing i'll i'll leave you with or you're leaving me with but you know it was um i don't know if it's an analogy or story but you know if you were given ninety six thousand dollars a day to spend or donate you would you would absolutely do that every single day, right? And you ask anybody, absolutely, I could do that too. Well, you get those 96,400 seconds per day. Are you doing everything you can with those seconds? And most of us, nope, <laughs> which is okay, right? But if you go back to get that process in place and say, make sure, because that's one, definitely one thing I've taken away from you is if I can get that stuff done by 10 a.m., the deep mm -hmm. work, I've had a good day, no matter if I don't get anything else really accomplished after that. And so totally. it was just such a mind shift change. And that's why I was so glad to have you come back on. And that's what I love about this podcast. I hadn't, I thought it was going one direction. We went a different direction. It was even better, I think, having this this conversation. So any parting gifts of wisdom? Or <laughs> parting talk? nuggets of wisdom? Um, no, not that, uh, that I would claim as wisdom, I, I guess. I, I, I am forever impressed with the power of community around these things we're talking about uh, and how we, I think because of those infernal phones that we were just talking about, we are really tempted to think I can do all of this on my own. Our, our phones kind of make us like these little gods of our own existence. And so I, I suppose my, my bit of, parting um my my parting exhortation i guess is for people to go out and just talk honestly with each other about this i met a guy uh here in denver soon after moving here who runs a little business and we got introduced and, and uh first day i asked him like how you know how are things going with your business and he said well yesterday i was in the fetal position for like three hours pretty sure that <laughs> what i'm doing is not going to work I was like, God, thank you for saying that. Cause like, that's how I feel about half the time. Um, so I, I think by opening up about this stuff and, and maybe not expecting that to happen on social media, like we all, we all wish that, oh, oh I wish somebody would say on social media, like how yeah. badly things are going, but it turns out that that doesn't actually work that well for engagement. Anyway, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is just being honest with other people. I think everyone, we're all surprised at 
the number of battles that everybody's going through. And if you can be brave enough to be the first to say, like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's amazing how that gets returned to you in kind. Yeah, no, it's such a good point. It's so funny you said that because literally I had a call at 3.30 this afternoon and, you know, she and I was our first networking. We both have been on our own for about four years now. And she's like, oh, I thought you had it figured out. I'm like, I looked like you had it all figured out. She's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Some days I wake up and say, what the hell am I doing? But yeah, yes. we're, we're still, but I always remind her that the good thing is we're in control of it versus mm-hmm. somebody else's control. So worst case, mm-hmm. it comes back to well, Paul, it's always great to talk to you. I'm so glad. And so where would you point people to come find you if they want to learn more? What's a good starting point? Uh, I would send them to createyourprocess.com. That's where, that's the main uh, hub of, of everything we do. And then uh, if if somebody wants to come find me on LinkedIn, it feels like your crowd's probably a LinkedIn crowd. They are a LinkedIn um, crowd. Then uh, connect through Brett. We're, we're pals on there. Um, and I think a lot of what we're doing is more and more applicable to uh, the business world. So that's where so. we're Yeah, because when I got involved, it was mostly a lot of writers, but I found such benefit for what I was trying to do and you know, going alone and having the community. So yeah, I'd also encourage people to check out the the, the process online. It's Yeah, Brett, when are you going to get back on there and go? I I'm still have it up every day, but I haven't. And it was funny. I had the uh, working session scheduled, but then I've got to re, re back to your to-do list and yeah. uh, I've actually been okay so far. So okay. I'm excited. Great. It's my crutch, not a crutch. It's, it's a tool that I can use if I have it. And yeah. I think I'm heading into some work where I'm going to need it. So, <laughs> okay, good. I'll, I'll be on there waiting for you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Paul. We'll have to have you on again at, at, at some point if you'd be willing to come back. Cause I think we'll make it a, fun. we'll make it a yearly thing. Yeah, exactly. It was almost a year ago today. So, so thanks again and uh, good luck with everything that you're building and taking on the, the corporate team build or the team efficiency. I wish you all the luck in the world and <laughs> thanks. it's a noble I, challenge, I man. I appreciate yeah. it. It's, yeah, we're out here doing maybe not the Lord's work, but somebody's good work. But as long as you help one person, right? That's the, the That's goal right. of it. So That's anyway, right. thanks again, Paul. Have a great rest of your evening.